from WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM, your Valley Free Radio Station. Welcome. I'm Warren Odestulet, and this is A Baha'i Perspective. A Baha'i Perspective is a radio program of biographical interviews of people who have either chosen the Baha'i faith as a way of life or who have a relationship with the Baha'i faith. Today I'm playing two items. The first is a telephone interview with Barbara West, a 91-year-old Baha'i from California. The other is two parts of a seven-part series of Oprah Winfrey interviewing Rain Wilson, star in the hit sitcom series The Office. But first, the interview with Barbara West. Barbara is 91 years old and lives in California. Barbara's mother, Ramona Allen Brown, became a Baha'i when Barbara was an infant by going to teas hosted by Helen Goodall and her daughter, Ella Goodall Cooper. The tea group was called the Peaches, and Barbara was referred to as the Baby Peach. Ramona Brown authored the book about her experiences with Abdu'l-Baha, when he was in the country in 1912, called Memories of Abdu'l-Baha. After Barbara's children grew up, she traveled with Tony Lee's tours, which arranged travel tours to Baha'i holy sites around the world. I started the interview by asking Barbara where she grew up, and what was it like growing up there. I grew up in Berkeley, California. I lived there with my family on near Telegraph Avenue, very close to the university. I was given a wonderful gift of attending a girls' private school for all of my high school years. It was a lovely gift to me, and it really, I blossomed. I mean, it opened up the world to me. This was all in Berkeley. So I went eventually to Berkeley, California, you see, And then I was subsequently married to my husband, whose name is Major Gorton West. Major was his given family name, Major Gorton West. He is deceased as of 1971. But we were married for 50 years, have four wonderful children, Mm -hmm. all of them married and doing very, very well. The greatest event in my life is that my mother had many, many happy hours with Abdu'l-Baha when he came to California in 1912. What was religious life for you growing up? I was a Baha'i because it's all that I knew from early days of my life. Uh, When my mother used to go to the tea parties at uh, Helen Goodall's and Ella Goodall Cooper's, they used to take me in the baby basket. <laughs> and it was when she, Ella Cooper, had established a little group of young women who she called the Peaches because they were so fresh and lovely. And so all of the people who went to her teas were called Peaches. I was therefore called Baby Peach, <laughs> and I was the first and only 
baby who went to the fireside or the lady Steve. And eventually, my mother became a very, very strong Baha'i. From the time she was in her late 70s, she asked Shoghi Effendi, while she was on pilgrimage, what service may I render? And he answered, please visit the Baha'is in the Mediterranean basin. All of the people, the Baha'is in that area. So she did at 75 and in poor health, she visited the Baha'i pioneers. It was just the effect of Abdul Baha's visit. How did your mother find out about the Baha'i faith or run into the Baha'i faith? My mother and her mother, Emma Francis or Allen, were invited to a tea at Helen Goodall's and Ella Goodall Cooper in Oakland, California. They attended the first meeting and heard all about the teachings of, Baha, of Abdu'l Baha and Baha'u'llah. And she turned to her mother and said, I believe this. She was 15 years old. So she was a staunch, hardworking Baha'i all the rest of her life. So you she said passed away when she was eighty-five. Now you said she was a she became a Baha'i when she was fifteen. Yes, she was fifteen. That's what, as far as we can remember. So did she marry a Baha'i? Was your father a Baha'i? Well, yes, my father. Also, she told him about the Baha'i faith, and he accepted it and believed in it. My grandfather, Dr. Woodson Allen, and my grandmother, Emma Francis Orr Allen, also became devoted followers of the faith and met Abdu'l-Baha when he was in California. Barbara, can you explain who Abdu'l-Baha is? Well, Abdu'l-Baha was the son of Baha'u'llah, and he was declared the center of of Baha'u'llah's covenant, and he taught that wherever he went. When I became a Baha'i, I had known about it, of course, all my life, and believed, you know, in the faith and all the teachings. And it wasn't until my darling good friend, Marcia Gale, who said to me, she took me to lunch one day, and she said, well, Bobby, what do you think of this Baha'i faith? Oh, Marcy, it's the answer to all the world's problems. Well, then, do you accept Baha'u'llah? And I said, of course, he was the manifestation that brought all these teachings. Well, then, what do you think of Abdu'l-Baha? Can you accept him? And I said, absolutely. He was the center of the covenant and the interpreter of the writings of Baha'u'llah. Well, how do you feel about Yogi Effendi? And I said, he was appointed the guardian. He took the Baha'i faith through the administration and brought all of the teachings to us to live by. Just for the folks that may not be aware of who Shoghi Effendi is, he is the grandson of Abdu'l-Baha who took the reins yes. of the faith after Abdu'l-Baha passed away. That, that makes it sure he was appointed. Mm-hmm. 
by Abdul Baha. Yeah. And that's why he did the guardian of the faith. Mm-hmm. Well, she said, okay, then you're a Baha'i, and we are going downtown to the Safer Gate bookshop and get you a little package of note paper, and you are going to sit and write your letter of declaration to the Berkeley Baha'i Assembly. Which, and she even gave me the stamp to write it with, and so that's what I did. Barbara, how old were you? Oh, about 20. 20? You had just sort of accepted the Baha'i faith oh, growing absolutely. up. Oh, That's all I knew. Yeah. I was a Baha'i. I was a, a baby teeth Baha'i. <laughs> it's all that I knew. It's all that I believed in. Right. I didn't know that at that time we should sign a declaration card. There were no declaration cards. Right. You simply wrote a letter that you believed in Baha'u'llah and his teachings and sent it to your local community, mm-hmm. the local spiritual assembly of Berkeley. So, Barbara, what, what year was that that you did that when you were 20 years old? 1946. 1946. So, Abdu'l-Baha came to this country in 1912. 1912. Yes. Was it your mother that met Abdu'l-Baha? Oh, yes, they had many thoughts. She was with Abdu'l-Baha many hours of his visit to the Oakland, Berkeley, San Francisco Bay Area. Mm-hmm. He accompanied him to Stanford and heard him give his wonderful talk at Stanford Chapel. Mm-hmm. He accompanied him to Sacramento, where he gave his wonderful address to the people of California, and he praised the Californians very highly as being very altruistic and loving the Baha'i faith. That was the day that he left California to go back east Mm -hmm. before returning to Haifa. Now, did your mother ever tell you any stories about her particular experiences with Abdu'l-Baha? Oh, yes. That's all I knew and all I lived for. And in fact, in her later years, when she lived at the Colonial Hotel in La Jolla, her husband had passed away. She was alone and having tried to uh, live with asthma and emphysema, she lived till about 85 years old. And what she did was to some of the young people in San Diego, La Jolla, would love to come to her room at the hotel and have her tell them stories about her visit with Abdu'l-Baha, and then she would send them downstairs to the store and get to have them buy ice cream and bring it back to her room, and they would all sit and eat ice cream. <laughs> that was how they introduced, she introduced the faith to many young people in San Diego, and I met several of them many years later, mm-hmm. and they were thrilled to pieces to yeah. be having heard about Abdu'l-Baha from my mother, and to become a Baha'i. So, Barbara, can you share some of those experiences that your mother told you that she had with Abdu'l-Baha? Oh, yeah. Well, (laughs) after her experiences, Bill Sears, Hand of the Cause, 
said to her, Ramona, you must write down everything you can remember about Abdu'l-Baha's visit. People, the Baha'is, are starving to hear about the old days of the Baha'i faith. And she had many stories to tell them. She wrote a book called Memories of Abdu'l-Baha, Recollections of the Early Days of the Baha'i Faith. What was your mother's last name? Well, her first name was Ramona, mm-hmm. and her maiden name was Alan. My doctor, my uh, grandfather was Dr. Woodson Allen. He had several interviews with Abdu'l-Baha. Mm-hmm. And then she married my father, Joseph Brandon Gray. And so he was Ramona Gray. Father died. He married again a Mr. Arthur Brown of San Francisco. What name did she use as the author of the book? Ramona Brown. Okay. Just in case people want to look it up. Well, it is out of print. One of the things that she recounted in her book is the fact that when everybody was seated at the tea table at the home of Elliot Al Cooper, Abdu'l-Baha would walk around the dining table helping people serve them and, and helping them every way. When he came to my mother's chair, he took a piece of bread from the table, put a little tiny piece of bread on her plate, and he gave the rest of the big sight to a Mrs. Anna Monroe. Mrs. Anna Monroe, Monroe never became a Baha'i, but my mother, with her little tiny, tiny piece, became a devoted Baha'i. And another time, or at that same occasion, Abdu'l-Bahá took a little bunch of grapes off the table and put them in my mother's water glass. She looked up at Abdu'l-Bahá, but she didn't know what to do with grapes sticking out of her glass of water, and he laughed at her, and she laughed. So she knew it was a good joke. So, sadly, she did not eat the grapes, and therefore lost the opportunity. But she learned afterwards that it was the custom to put something special in the water glass of a friend. Mm. So that was just a funny experience that she had with Abdu'l-Bahá. It made him laugh and it made her laugh. (laughs) So, Barbara, what happened after you you wrote this declaration letter declaring your faith as a Baha'i to the Berkeley community. What happened after that for you? Well, (laughs) eventually I became a member of the Berkeley Assembly and had feasts in my home. Eventually, my husband became a Baha'i, particularly when he told me he'd known about the Baha'is. And one time, when he was stepping over the dead bodies of children that had frozen during the night in Korea. He said that clicked for him. Mm. And when he came home, he declared himself to be a Baha'i and was a devoted Baha'i all the rest of his life. And he allowed me to go 
travel teaching, to use my energy, to use my gas, to use my money to go and teach the faith, which I did. So where did you travel to? My husband had a job in Panama. So we went to the Republic of Panama. I packed up the house. The dog sold the horse, packed up the car, and went to Panama. We were there for two years. The children were in school there. And then he came home and said, I'm going to be leaving for Korea. And I couldn't go there. So I took the children and went to live in Mexico because Idris Rice Gray, Dr. Rice Gray, was a very good friend, and she had persuaded me when I had to leave Panama to go to Mexico. So I went there when I decided to leave Panama because of my husband's work. My children, what I said to my daughter, well, I prayed about it during the night and woke up and decided to go to Mexico. My daughter said, oh, good, you get packed and I'll get breakfast. (laughs) When I said to my eldest son, we're going to Panama, I mean to Mexico to live, he said, oh, my God, what's mother up to now? And to David, my son, I said, we're going to, to Mexico to live. And he said, oh, great, that's a good school. And I said, yes. And my son, the older one, said, well, are there pretty girls there? And I said, of course there are. Haven't you heard of the Mexican beauty? And when I said to my son, Richard, we're going to Mexico to live. Okay, when do we go? I mean, that was the response of all my children. Yeah. They were ready to go. They were all fluent in Spanish by the time you all left Panama? Oh, yeah, because they were going to the American school that taught certain classes in Spanish, mm-hmm. as well as for English. So they had a good grounding in both languages. My daughter knew Spanish so fluently that she taught a blind girl Spanish, who took it down in Braille. That was quite an achievement for this young woman to give to another blind friend in Spanish. My daughter eventually became a doctorate in chemistry. My son David became a doctor of epidemiology. And my oldest son, Brandon, is the president of his company, in Anchorage, Alaska. So do you have any stories to tell about your time in Mexico? I was there for about three years, a little less than three years in Mexico. I remember they were getting fireside on Sunday afternoon. I had been up very late the night before, and I was driving on a dirt road to attend the fireside and give a talk and I evidently fell asleep and almost drove off the road. So that really kind of woke me up. But I remember that very distinctly. Barbara, what is a fireside? Well, it's just a coined name that the Baha'is have kind of picked up and gone with. When Ella Cooper, 
gathered friends together. They were just called ladies' teas, a little tea party. But as we got larger and groups of Baha'is would get together to speak to say to others, we called it Fireside. It's a name that Abdu'l-Bahá gave them. It's it sort of uh, incidentally, it was not formally said. It's just that it was a type of meeting where you could bring friends, hear about the Baha'i faith, and discuss it. It was very informal and very casual, and people really enjoyed knowing about this wonderful new religion that teaches all mankind. What caused you to leave Mexico? Oh, my husband's work. He said, he would just come home and say, we're leaving tomorrow for New York. I'd say, yeah, okay. What was your husband's work that allowed you to go to different countries? My husband was a graduate of Stanford, and he became an outstanding engineer. And he would do all kinds of things, remarkable things. He worked for a company called the Hugo News Corporation, which dealt in mines, metals, scrap fields, and shipping. Those were the big companies doing things. And he had many occasions to work on projects. For example, when Mr. Kaiser bought them a ship in Susun Bay off of Martinez in San Francisco, he would go revisit these ships. They were in dry dock, waiting to be scrapped, actually, to be torn down. And he would go down into the hold of these old, old ships that were obsolete in Susun Bay, and we would go down in the hold Black as midnight, taking us a little flashlight with him, and he would find that the bilge was full of railroad ties, which were very valuable. And when he made his report to Hugo New, he told Dr. Hugo what he found. None of the other companies had their surveyors go down into the holes. It was quite dangerous and black. No light, no air, nothing. So it was a dangerous situation. But Major did, and because of it, Hugo New Corporation made millions of dollars on the scrap steel railroad ties. So that was one of just one of the things he did. Mm-hmm. He went to Guam and took some of the workers, the native workers, and he went to the little restaurant and asked the lady to build him some gold ingots, take some bread pans, and he would fill them with manganese ore, which he sent to Hugo New, which made Hugo New millions with these little barred bread pans full of all kinds of wonderful scraps, melted scraps. He was an engineer mm-hmm. and very brilliant. 
and as inventor of all kinds of things. So what part of New York did you move to after Mexico? We were just renting an apartment that Hugo had sent Major to get some scrap from some ships, and I was there, but that didn't last for very long. So then I was able to go home to California, uh-huh. and we landed in Southern California, Los Angeles area, instead of going back to my hometown of Berkeley. So what did you do when you got back to uh, Southern California? I began going to meetings, our side seats, of course. At this date, right now, I'm having devotion to be part of the plan of cluster building, mm. which is designed a program introduced by the Universal House of Justice to get more people into the Baha'i faith. We share it. We offer it to friends to help them in their lives. And that's what we do, what we're doing now. It's getting very widely known and exciting people are, are just grabbing it because it's, they can see it's the salvation of the world and it will indeed. When you came back to Southern California, you've been there ever since. Oh, yeah. So we've been here ever since. I've been on the Los Angeles Baha'i Assembly for several years. I was a delegate to the convention several years. Oh, I've done a lot of things. Oh, I was on the Thornton Chase Committee Memorial for 15 years. And we planned the annual memorial commemorating the passing of Mr. Thornton Chase, whom Abdul Baha had designated as the first Baha'i in the United States. So what can you tell our listeners about Thornton Chase? He was a remarkable man. My mother had him at their far side, and my grandmother and grandfather had Thornton Chase, and Louis Getzinger at their far side. Mother said he was a very jolly man, and he was a devoted Baha'i. When he first heard about it, he became a Baha'i. And he had gone to a meeting, the Chicago Exposition, I believe. But anyway, Thornton Chase heard about the Baha'i faith, and he didn't do anything about it immediately, but he eventually met Abdul Baha and became a very devoted Baha'i all the rest of his life and moved around and was working in New York, and then he was sent to California, and he got the faith here. So annually, because he is buried in Inglewood, California, a short, a big cemetery where many Baha'is are uh, buried, Thornton Chase came here and uh, eventually died here, but he left a great heritage for the Baha'is to follow. And so the memorial is held once a year to commemorate his passing. And Abdu Baha had designated him very specifically as the first Baha'i in the United States. 
What's the story about Abdu'l-Bahá? Abdu'l-Bahá wanted to visit Thornton Chase when he came to this country in 1912. That's right. And he did, he did uh, Abdu'l-Bahá when he came to California, and he asked his friends to take him to the Inglewood Park Cemetery. Thornton Chase had died at the end of September, and Abdu'l-Bahá came to visit his grave, prostrated himself, and recited a beautiful prayer for Thornton Chase, which is now read every memorial that is held for Thornton Chase. Remarkable man. My mother had him at their fireside, and she always said he was a very jolly man. And the pictures that we have of him are, you know, he has a big smile on his face. So he was a wonderful Baha'i. Who else is buried in that Baha'i cemetery in California in addition to Thornton Chase? Oh, my goodness, many Baha'is. Well, Kazem Kazem today, the father of Biru. I remember one time I was on the committee in the L.A. community, and I was on the uh, assembly, and one time I was appointed to serve as the hostess at one of the feasts. So I did, and I got there early to prepare things. And Mr. Kazem Kazemzadeh came in to the center, 331 South New Hampshire, and we were talking about the placing of the picture of Abdu'l-Bahá, which was in the little small library where the books were kept for loan. And uh, he said to me, that is not the proper place for the picture of Abu'l-Bahá to be placed. And I thought, what? And I said, well, how would it be if we hang it on the wall in the main, di- in the main room where we have our meeting? And he said, yes, that would be the proper place. So I got up on a ladder. I took the picture down from over the the fireplace in the library and put it in the main room and put in a nail and I I guess it will stay there for many years. I didn't ask anybody. (laughs) I just did it because he said that would be the best place. Let's get back to your mother for a second. Was it difficult for her to write this book of of the stories of Abdu'l-Bahá? Well, no, she had written notes about it for a long time. But the editing was a little bit difficult because she never spoke. She would speak extemporaneously on the Baha'i faith and Abdu'l-Bahá. Just every, you know, anybody wanting to hear about it, she would tell them. I told you about the young people who she would send down for ice cream. Yes, she would talk about the faith to everyone and anything, anybody who would listen. And she was constantly speaking about the Baha'i faith. She was a devoted Baha'i mm-hmm. until she died when she was 85. After your kids grew up, did you, do, did you have an opportunity to do any more traveling? Oh, yes, all over. I went with Tony Leaf, Tony Leaf Ford. Well, he would plan pilgrimages all over. Oh, we went to London. 
all of the places. Wherever there was the Baha'i Temple, we would go. Tony would make arrangements. He took care of all the travel arrangements. We went to uh, Anima. We went to the Jogi Effendi's grave. That's in London. Yeah. Yeah, we went there. We went uh, went to India. Tony Lee took care of everything. He was a very wonderful host and a true escort and leader. He'd make all the arrangements for every every travel, buses and jitneys and everything and everything he would take care of. It was his business, and it was extremely successful. And he had a good deal of clout because he would bring big groups to the hotels. But every place we went, we were taken care of. So he did a wonderful job. He had a wonderful grace and beauty and under love for the faith. He was so enamored of the Baha'i faith. He just couldn't get over it. He was wonderful. So when did you stop traveling? <laughs> when I stopped reading. <laughs> and when did you stop reading? <laughs> well, I had COPD. I inherited it from my grandfather who died of emphysema. My grandmother died of emphysema, and my mother died of emphysema. So the nurse said, you're disposed to emphysema. I said, yeah. So I have it. It's hard to breathe. So, you know, it's chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. And in my case, it's pretty well assumed that it was inherited from my family. I do not think there is a gene of emphysema or asthma. But I think that is becoming knowledgeable that it is kind of an inherited condition, a weakness, a disposition. But I manage. I live totally alone mm-hmm. with my husband gone. And I do very well because I didn't I have a lot of friends. How long ago did you contract emphysema? Well, well I think when I was a teenager I would get to laughing and talking. And I didn't realize it, but I had difficulty breathing then, you know. But mm. um, as I grew more and more, I, I didn't seem to be affected by it so strongly. But uh, now, well, about uh, three years ago, I had a serious heart surgery. I replaced a valve, my aorta valve, with a bovine cow tissue, and I had several heart surgeries. So I have to be, uh, you know, alert to the fact that I have to be careful. You know, I can't do a lot of exercising that I would like to do. Mm-hmm. My Dr. Chang, a pulmonologist, has told me, Barbara, I've given you the best medications there are for emphysema, and you're on oxygen, and so there's nothing more I can do for you. You have to exercise. So I say, yes, yes, I'm supposed to exercise. But it's difficult to exercise when you can't breathe. Really no answer to that. But I do what I can, and I'm, yeah. I'm very active. I'm a hospice volunteer. I'm a hospice bereavement volunteer. I'm on the election board. When we have a vote, we have an election. I was on the Thornton State Committee for 15 years and many Baha'i committees. 
and right now I'm uh, on a canvassing for Leukemia Society, trying to help little children with the terrible diseases. So how old are you today, Barbara? I'm 91. 91. February 8, 1918. 1918. However, I'm a good driver. I'm a courteous driver. Mm -hmm. I know I'm good. I've been told I'm a good driver. However, I decided about a year ago that if I were ever in a little bumper-to-bumper accident, the little old lady would be blamed and I would be sued for everything I have, and I couldn't do that to my family. So I decided to donate my car and stop driving. So it's devastating, emotionally devastating, to lose my independence. So I have to depend on taxis and family or friends, and that's not easy. When I'm so used to just traveling the country. How about public transportation? Well, yes, city ride and so forth. But they are really not terribly reliable. They don't specify it. They sometimes are late. Sometimes they refuse to go down my alley to pick me up, and I insist on going out to my garage and and opening the garage door because that's easier for me, particularly at night. At night, there's no lighting on my stairs. There's several stairs down through the dark to the street. And I just told them, you'll have to pick me up in my alley. It's right off the stovewood. You can find it easy. A lot of them do, but some of them don't. I think they're afraid of being somehow hijacked or something. I must say, Barbara, you've lived a full life. Oh, yes. I'm delighted. I have a full life, and I'm very, very happy. And I love people. I love to be with people. Any of them, anybody. I'm very indiscriminating. Indiscriminating. <laughs> anyway. What do you think your life would have been like if you weren't a Baha'i? Dull. Very dull. <laughs> Not worth anything. Well, yes, I guess. Four wonderful children. Mm-hmm. A brilliant husband. So we had a wonderful time, but it wouldn't have been as beautiful as it is now. Oh, I have a purpose to life. I know. I know what it's all about. I keep looking at all of these devastating things that are happening, the sadness all over the world. There isn't a place that you can think of that isn't suffering. The people are suffering sadly and tremendously, and they're discouraged. And I think, but honey, listen, we've got the answer. We've got the solution. Come join us. <laughs> I keep thinking that. I think, oh, yes, we've got it. All we need to do is tell them. So, Barbara, what is that answer? My faith and the promises that we have. My mother was with Abdu'l-Bahá when he went to Sacramento and made that wonderful speech in which and the prayer that he revealed for California. It is for the wonderful people that are destined for greatness. And that's a promise mm-hmm. from Abdullah and I believe in. So it's exciting 
really exciting to be a Baha'i. I, I get really excited about it because I know I won't see the conclusion of all this, but that's okay. I will be aware of it in the next world, and I'm really looking forward to going into the next world because I know it's going to be beautiful, and I'm going to enjoy it and enjoy all the people I've known and to know that the world is going ahead, moving ahead, giving to people what it needs, the teachings of Baha'u'llah. No question. And I've lived long enough to see it and to know it. And so I know it's going to be wonderful. But it gets, you know, established. That's good. And all we can do is just one little drop in the ocean and one little grain of sand on the earth. And that all contributes. And it's exciting. It's exciting to know about all this. I get excited when I know. I really do. I would love to meet all the people in the world. Yeah. Oh, I don't know how I could cope with all this. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Why is the Baha'i faith the answer? Because Baha'u'llah, the glory of God, has brought all of the necessary teachings and preparing the world for the future. The teachings of Baha'u'llah are God-given, and we know that because of the teachings that have gone on before, all have contributed so much, and we will be seeing the fruits of all of that in the future, and it's going to be exciting. So we have to have divine guidance, and we know that once every thousand or thousands of years, God, in his love for mankind, will send another manifestation, another teacher, leader, prophet, whatever you want to call it, him, that they will come again and keep coming to help mankind. Because Jesus must be established in the world. And it's not going to come quickly, and it's not going to come easily. But I believe in it, and I know that I will be aware of it. And that's exciting to know that I've been just a little drop in the ocean. Well, Barbara, thank you so much for sharing your story. Oh, yes. Well, it's been my pleasure, obviously. (laughs) Thank you very, very much. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Barbara West, a 91-year-old Baha'i now living in California. Now I would like to play two parts of a seven-part series of Oprah Winfrey interviewing Rain Wilson, star in the TV sitcom The Office, where he plays the character Dwight Schrute. Here is Oprah Winfrey interviewing Rain Wilson. Dr. Rain Wilson is best known as that quirky, egomaniacal Dwight on the hit show The Office. But what you may not know about him is that he is on a mission. He wants to have a real debate about some of life's biggest questions. Rain says he's just sick of spirituality being airy-fairy, hippy-dippy, and so precious. Those are his words. So here we go. Rain and I are going to take on God, religion, and his quest to de-lamify it all. This is Soul Series. Join us. It's uplifting, 
enlightening, truly powerful. Welcome to Soul Series. So welcome to my Soul Series on Oprah Radio. I'm delighted to have as my guest today the funny man and the satirical man that we all love to hate, the character Dwight Schrute from the hit series The Office, brought to us so artfully and thoughtfully by Rain Wilson. Oh, you're too kind. No, I'm not too kind. It's true. <laughs> so why a funny man Rain Wilson on, on our Soul Series? I'll tell you why. Two words. Soul Pancake. Soul Pancake. Rain Wilson, what is Soul Pancake? That is an excellent question, Oprah. I love that I just said that. I said, that's an excellent <laughs> question, Oprah. What a delight to meet you. Thanks for having me here. What a delight to I... have you here in this. But when you first hit Chicago, though, right? Yeah. Right? And, and you realized it was minus 14 degrees. It's ridiculous. Yes. You know, you go outside in this weather, and it's like your survival instinct kicks in. Yes. And it's like, I felt like I was going to die. I, honestly, I, I came out of the airport, and I was like, something in my body kind of took over, and it's like, don't stop moving because you will curl up and then you will freeze to death. Because it's unnatural, isn't it? That's it's, what an audience member said to me the other day. Yeah. The member said it's wrong. Yeah, it's yeah. deeply wrong. It's wrong. Yeah. It's like a, I, I was in my house. I actually, you know, look out over Lake Michigan, uh, lucky me, and it's frozen so solid. And there yeah. was like the ice, uh, there was like crystallizing ice, and it was. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But, it um, was a frosting, which was rising above it. <laughs> yeah, lots of like steam everywhere. Steam yeah. coming up. And this morning, right. it was like shocking yeah. how cold it it's was. It's brutal. It's brutal. I went to high school here in Chicago. I love this great city. You, you, I'm okay. not just saying that for the Chicago office fans. Okay, good. I do. I really love the city. So and and where would you go to high school? New Trier High School. Um, oh, New Winnetka, Trier. yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. Mm -hmm. And did you have any idea then that this is where you would you would be? You know what? I uh, had... Well, we'll get back to Soul Pancake in yeah, a minute Yeah, we'll get here. back to that in a minute. Um, yeah. Hold that thought. I, You know, it's interesting that here I am talking to you at that point, because I definitely knew I wanted to be an actor, and yes. I had that dream. I had that longing to be an artist. Yes. And that was Ooh. my deepest drive. Um, my family... Because that is the heart of our, our soul's calling, is that longing thing that you're talking about. Yes. 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 And I knew that I basically had to be an actor or I would die. Like like wow. I would freeze to death outside of O'Hare Airport. <laughs> same same kind of thing would, would really? take in. I had, I, I had such, a, yes, such a deep drive to become an actor. And at the same time, you know, I grew up as a member of the Baha'i faith. And my parents are Baha'is. And we lived over by the Baha'i House of yes. Worship there in Wilmette, that beautiful temple yes, on Lake Michigan. Yes, the Baha'i Temple, yes. So now kind of with Soul Pancake, I'm kind of bringing both things, my artistic journey and my spiritual journey, are coming in a culmination in this website. So we will definitely get to, to, to Soul Pancake in a moment. But I've passed that temple and I wondered what, because it's so beautiful. Mm -hmm. And there is this sort of... Uh, mystery surrounding it if you have never been in and don't know anything about the Baha'i faith. What is that, the Baha'i faith? Well, another excellent question. First of all, I want to say that had you come in the summer of 1984 to the Baha'i House of Worship in yes. Wilmette, Illinois, you would have seen young Rain Wilson in a security guard uniform. Really? Uh, patrolling the grounds. That's and I was really intimidating because <laughs> I was probably about 154 pounds at well. the time and six foot two. Uh, gawky, acne bespeckled, uh, but I was fierce. I was a fierce, fierce security guard. Yeah. yeah. No, the Baha'i faith is, uh, and it's it's always difficult to to sum up a kind of a world religion in, right. in a nutshell. But essentially, the Baha'i faith is um, uh, is a religion of unity. 
the founder of the Baha'i faith, Baha'u'llah, uh, brought the message for this day and age that there is only one religion, that all of the religions of the past are one changeless faith of God, that when you go way back in the annals of human history to mm-hmm. Zoroaster, Abraham, to Buddha, and then going forward uh, to uh, Jesus and Muhammad, that all of these people are divine messengers from God that are bringing God's message to that people at that particular date and time and geography. Mm. And there are many manifestations of God or prophets of God or messengers of God, whatever you want to call them, that have come and gone that we don't know about and there will be ones on into the future. That it is God brings his message to humankind with a gradual unfolding like lesson plan. Right. And Baha'u'llah uh, claims to be a messenger of God, a prophet of God for this day and age. And his message of kind of profound unity, um, Baha'is believe, is the antidote, antidote excuse me, to help cure the ills of the world. So you grew up with this sense of openness mm-hmm. toward all religions mm-hmm. and a belief that, you know, we're all the same, we're all connected. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, and that... What a miracle it was to yes. grow up that way. Yeah. To One of the fundamental tenets of the Baha'i faith is the elimination of racial prejudice. Wow. So to grow up feeling that we're all one human family, just to, to know that from age four, as soon as you could think or walk or talk, uh-huh. was a gift. Uh, the equality. So that were there people of other colors, races oh, yeah. in your church? Yeah. yeah. All, all the, the Baha'is are every... every Every race, age, creed, you know, background uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, that you can possibly imagine. And so I'm sure that infuses not only certainly your personality, but also distinctly uh, infuses your art. Yeah, that's that's an interesting question. How does it uh, d- how does it affect my art? Because yes. here I play this weird, annoying, yes, annoying eccentric on, the, on a yeah, yeah, on, yeah. on a TV show. It's not like I'm that playing Gandhi. To, I'm yes. not on like Touched by an Angel or something <laughs> like that. You know what I mean? Um, uh, I play a lot of different weirdos. But you know, here's an interesting thing about the Baha'i Faith, and this will get us to Soul Pancake. Is one of the one of the teachings of the Baha'i Faith yes. is that in this day and age, Baha'u'llah tells us that the making of art is no different than prayer. There's not any that. difference between that. lifting up a paintbrush and touching it to a canvas and bowing your head in a church. You know, I just got a little, yeah. 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 The hairs on my head rose a little bit when Good. you said that. Yeah. You get a little tingle. I got a little tingle from so, that, right? There's, and, um, and there, you know, there, you know there's, there are many other teaching, teachings. Um, and, but, you know, the... That how, art is prayer. Creativity is an expression of prayer. It is prayer. Actor Rain Wilson is best known as that quirky, egomaniacal Dwight on the hit show The Office. But what you may not know about him is that he is on a mission. He wants to have a real debate about some of life's biggest questions. Rain says he's just sick of spirituality being airy-fairy, hippy-dippy, and so precious. Those are his words. So here we go. Rain and I are going to take on God, religion, and his quest to de it all. This is Soul Series. Join us. It's uplifting, enlightening, truly powerful. Welcome to Soul Series. The Baha'i Prayers, and I'm going to give you a Baha'i Prayer book later on. At the end of the Baha'i Prayers... Like you have one for me? Or yeah, you just I just now thought of it. For okay, you. good. Yeah. 
Um, the uh, at the end of the Baha'i prayers, we you you say the name of God. Like there there are prayers for everyone. They're not just for Baha'is. But at the end, you're like, you know, Thou art the powerful, the mighty, the okay. all-seeing, the all-hearing God. You know, this mm -hmm. this is a lot of different faith traditions. Yeah. But one of the um, names of God that has been revealed by Baha'u'llah is the Fashioner. And there's a beautiful quote in the Baha'i faith is that because this word fashioner was revealed as God is the fashioner, mm -hmm. that this relates to the arts because when you're an artist, you're a fashioner, mm -hmm. whether, whether you're making a sculpture or a painting or a piece of music. So you're emulating God. As a, a fashioner, as in creator, God is, God is the creator. Yes. You know, it's just yeah. a different word for creator. Right. That's all. So being creative and being a creator is the ultimate testament to the great creator, God. Mm -hmm. So you're, just as God is kind and merciful and just and patient and all loving and all compassionate, and those are the qualities of God that we seek to emulate as human beings. Right. It, hopefully, you know, we try our best. You know, one of those is also to be fashioners. To be fashioners. So, and I happen to be a fashioner of weird, eccentric, freaky Geeks. Characters. Characters. <laughs> yeah. So this is Rain Wilson talking, y'all, from The Office, who is really talking about God in such a, such a cool, um, not airy-fairy way. Thank you. And that was your uh, fashioned yes. uh, uh, intention yeah. for Soul Pancake. Yes. And so now we're back to Soul Pancake. That was good. Good transition. <laughs> good. Very nice. Yay. Um, Soul Pancake, he, as I became a celebrity, yes. and he, I have my spiritual belief, and I seek as a Baha'i, and I believe that our highest calling as human beings is to be of service. Yes. Um, yes, isn't that the truth? That's what I deeply believe. I, I do, too. That's one of the fundamental teachings of my faith, and, and we see it kind of catching fire these days. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And... Um, the whole country will be turned on to this in a way. I hope so. No, for sure. For sure that is what is going to happen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Good. Good. We're, we're in that moment. Don't you feel it? There's definitely change afoot. Yeah, don't you yes. feel a level of consciousness raising has been raised that says that service is the way? I think third eyes are opening all over this country. Absolutely. But um, so I was thinking about like how how can I be of service? What what can I best offer the world? I mean, obviously, you know, I do some work with charities mm -hmm. and stuff like that, and you know, try and be a good father and a good husband, and you know, you know, tr struggle with these things, and and but the uh, but this is, you know, when I speak to young people about God or about religion or about faith, I kept coming up on the same answer, yeah. which is young people, you'd say to someone, uh, you know, kind of the generations younger than me in 20s or 30s, say, uh, do you believe in God? And they would say, yeah, kind of. There's a kind of belief in God. I, yeah. But I don't believe in an old man on a beard who's judgmental. I believe... Right in some force in the universe that is, you know, that is creative and loving. I'm not quite sure what that is. And yeah, the universality of God is yes, what people but say. There's, but, but I love that you say that, because I've heard people say that too. Do you believe in God? Kind of. Yeah. And I have one, is that like kind of being pregnant? Or is that kind exactly. of? Yeah, kind well, that, of. That's yeah. what I always say. So I was like, hmm, that's an interesting concept of, of, of God. It seems a little underexplored a yes, lot of times yeah. when, I, when I speak What to that people. means is I think people are saying, I don't believe in the doctrine that I've been told yes. that it is, mm -hmm. but I do believe that there's something bigger, something more mysterious than you know, language can describe. That's what I always interpret it right. to me. Yeah, kind of. And I, uh, kind of, exactly. And, you know, 
the the other thing they they always say yeah. uh, is, but I could never be a part of any organized religion. Yes, that's and, the other thing, and and which is completely understandable. Right. I mean, we have been a victim and still are to this day of fundamentalism and fundamentalist religion uh, and doctrines, as you say, that's right. has has caused so much pain and suffering and disunity. That's right. In the world and judgment and all that. Yes. And one of the Baha'i teachings is. Uh, if 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 religion be a cause of disunity, yes. it were better that there were no religion. Right. So religion go has Baha'is. to yes. go Baha'is. Go Baha'is. And it's interesting because the word religion yeah. is comes. We'll, we'll get to soul pancake. Okay, I we'll promise. get to soul pancake. <laughs> um, is uh, the, it comes from the I believe Latin root. I'm not. I'm no scholar, Oprah, but uh, religio, which is ligament, religio to bind. Mm. Re. re Legio, mm -hmm. rebind, ligament, re-ligamentize to bind people together. Interesting. And in the early days of all of the great faiths of the world, that's what religion did: is it binded people together and created unity. And you had, and you know, the things cause, got a little crazy. You had the cause of Muhammad kind of binding together all of the Arab states, and you had the Christianity binding together, you know, the whole mm -hmm. Roman Empire and mm -hmm. spreading and Buddhism spreading across Tibet and China and bringing people together towards a common purpose and then it gets, yeah, things... That this, crazy. this is why Baha'is think it needs to be updated. But anyway, so they don't... Young people think that um, they kind of believe in God, they know they can't be a part of an organized religion, and they have a great distaste for anything that feels kind of hippy-dippy or airy-fairy about yes. religion. Yes, Anything that's kind of like... You know, let's hold our crystals. I was just going to say, bring out the our, crystals. Our breath together, yes. and I'm getting a sense of your aura, and that kind of stuff. That um, for young people, they they hate that, and they cringe at that. They want to go turn on Nirvana and crank the volume whenever they hear something okay. like that. Okay. So I was, I was like, how can I, how can I inspire young people to take a spiritual journey in their lives that doesn't have to do with organized religion, that does that questions this idea of who God is and is there a God mm -hmm. and isn't hippy-dippy or airy-fairy in any way. And that's kind of how Soul Pancake was born. Mm -hmm. I also feel like the way that young people can best experience some kind of religious feeling is through art. Because art turns people on, religion turns people off, creativity is turning people on, and so and I wanted... And art is a prayer. And art is a prayer. I believe the two are the same thing. So there's not any difference between being creative and being spiritual, and so I want to investigate that in our website. So uh, how about if we talk about Soul Pancake? I hope you enjoyed that interview by Oprah Winfrey with Rain Wilson, star in the TV sitcom The Office, where Rain plays the character Dwight Schrute, and that you enjoyed my interview with Barbara West. For a copy of this and other programs, you can go to the website www abahaiperspective.com For information specifically on the Baha'i faith, you can go to the website www.baha'i.org or you can call the toll-free number 1-800-22-UNITE. I hope you join me next time on A Baha'i Perspective. This is WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM, your Valley Free Radio station, streaming at www.valleyfreeradio.org.